0: Hey, Nick. Hello, Warwick. Hello, listeners.
1: Hello, listeners.
0: Off air, Warwick was, I don't know, groaning at me when I said I really struggled to find a joke today, but the truth is I have come up with some material. I don't think it's very good. Let's Are you see. ready? I'm ready. <laughs> what do you get from a pampered cow? No. Spoiled milk. Welcome to the Tradies
1: in Business podcast with your
0: hosts, Warwick Didwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Was and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade, helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, my 12-year-old's going to love that one.
0: I thought she might. That's who I had in mind when I was doing my deep research. <laughs>
1: all right uh i trying to think of a segue coxie you've made I don't that hard for really me up. i don't know you've made that really hard for me i, I can't segue into today's guest
0: Oh, I have, uh, I have, ooh, maybe I have shane could be rising to the top of the pack like the cream from the sport.
1: oh he has risen to the top yes <laughs> nice work you're stealing my i don't even need to be here anymore
0: oh come on do the no.
1: podcast all by yourself coxie do the jokes and the segues no that won't happen All right, we're going to throw to our guest and welcome him to the show, Shane Moore from Trade Risk. G'day. Hey, Warwick. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Really well. Very well, mate. Uh, I am very jealous of your headphones, mate, and mostly because the cord is orange.
2: (laughs) That's the sole (laughs) reason that I chose them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want headphones with an orange cord. That looks mint. Hang on,
0: let me make a note
1: for Christmas. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Headphones,
1: orange cord. Not the joke ones either, Coxie. I want the real ones that actually work. So. Shane, uh, and we're not going to talk about insurance today because you're not that good at insurance, are you?
2: <laughs> no, I'm definitely not the uh, insurance broker. I, mean, <laughs> uh, I employ some very good insurance brokers. Yeah, uh, I like it. Not my specialty. Then-
1: now, there's a segue that I can grab hold of is being a great business owner. You don't have to be good at the stuff you do. You've got to be good at running the business in that industry. So um, that's one of the things I like about your business, Shane. And um, listeners, we kind of know Shane. We stalked him a bit and we've annoyed the crap out of him over the last few years because uh, we <laughs> like what he's doing in in the tradie space. Uh, and so we thought it'd be good to get him on the podcast, um, we probably sparked in this by a conversation in our client group with our tradiepreneur clients, um, talking about insurances and which company's best and how do I get the best deal and what sort of stuff do I need to be insured for? And I read those sorts of threads regularly and think, ah, what are you doing? Go get a broker. And so I think, uh, people still don't realize perhaps, or or understand what an insurance broker really does, but I want to spoil that whole thread, Shane, and get you to tell our listeners about you. How the heck did you come to be sitting here with an orange-corded pair of headphones in a swanky office as a broker, mate?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so I started, uh, I've always worked in financial services, I think when I uh I just like numbers and, and patterns and different things. So financial services just uh, attracted me. So I uh, spent probably about 10 years working uh, across banking and insurance, um, ended up finding myself in compliance, which a lot of people don't like compliance, but I uh, actually quite enjoyed compliance. Um, and I had um, my working in compliance ended up doing audits on um, financial advisors and insurance brokers um, discovered that there was this ability to to run your own business um, as an insurance broker, uh, which was quite appealing to me. Um, and I'd also had a bit of a, I, don't know, I guess people would call it a, high, a side hustle these days. Um, I was quite into uh, online marketing. So, you know, building little websites and, you know, trying to sell advertising or sell things. So... I got to this point after, I guess maybe, yeah, 10 years working in financial services that thinking, I think I could combine what I'd learned in online marketing, you know, with all of the knowledge I'd picked up in insurance and financial services, and then put that together to, to start off my own little business. Um, and yeah, I guess that's how, that's how trade risk was born. Um, but, yeah, probably, I guess, as, as a lot of your listeners would know, starting a business is pretty easy. Um, you know, actually, then uh, making it work is a, is a whole other story. But, uh, yeah. but, yeah, that's the short of it in terms of how we got started.
0: How long Should ago we... did, sorry, yeah. trade risk actually kick off?
2: Uh, 2010 it was. So, wow. uh, we're just over 13 years now. Wow, okay. yeah. So It's been a while. Still feels awesome. like early days. But, uh, but yeah, 13 years. <laughs>
0: I think that's something we don't talk about in business enough is how the the journey is always evolving. And I think a business that you feel safe and stagnant in is one that's on the decline. We just don't know that until, of course, it becomes apparent. It's the businesses that require constant change, constant growth from you as a person as being the business leader constant learning. They're the ones that are continuing to on their growth path. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're hiring more people who are, who are physically growing. Um, it could, of course, mean that we are growing in our capacity for profit even, but we need to be doing that consistent learning. Shane, given that this was a new industry for you when you first started, obviously there would have been a bit of learning right at the very beginning. Um, no doubt some study whatnot not to get your broker's license. And then what? Like how does the continuation of that growth and learning look like for you?
2: Oh, I think the, probably the, the big thing I, you know, for those first 12 months, probably first 12 to 18 months, I tried to just do everything on my own. So trying to do the, uh, you know, generate the leads. So doing, doing what I was doing with the online marketing um, then trying to, to actually be the broker, do all of the quoting, giving the advice, all the rest of it. And you know, I realized pretty quickly that, that it wasn't really going to work. Um, yeah. And I think I'd hit that 12, 12 to 18 month mark. Yeah. It just wasn't working at all. I wasn't making enough money to, um, you know, to, to keep myself going. Yeah. Thankfully my, my wife had a, a decent job and she could cover both of us and we didn't have kids at that stage. So it was, you know, the life was a lot more simple. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had, I got to that point and it, it wasn't really working out. So I had to make that decision. You know, do I go back on wages? Um, take the easy option or try and work out what I've gotten wrong and and how to mm-hmm. fix it. Mm-hmm. So I did end up taking a job. I went went back to to working for a big financial services business and I think I lasted about six weeks and thought, no, I, <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go back. Uh, I've got to make this work. Um so the so I, I looked at what the, the strengths and weaknesses were and discovered that or worked out that I guess I was pretty good in generating the leads and, and building that brand, um, yeah, and just running the the business. But I I, I wasn't a natural uh, insurance broker, mm. so I had no money. But I still still went out and hired a broker, pretty much just using credit cards really to to try and get through. Um, but everything started to click, I guess, once I had that first insurance broker, who I guess he was someone who actually enjoyed being an insurance broker and was good at being an insurance broker. It was good at talking to the clients. You know, I could do what I was good at. Um, he could do what he was good at. We, we kind of grew from there. So I think that was a, a super important lesson. I kind of got a bit off topic there in terms of that, you know, learning and, and developing, but that was probably the biggest learning was the, um, you know, just that importance of, you know, of going after your strengths and, um, mm. Yeah, and probably more importantly, knowing what your weaknesses are and actually doing something about it. Yeah,
1: I think there's a misconception amongst, perhaps many of our listeners. I'm being presumptuous here. Uh, certainly amongst some of our clients, that you know you were in financial services, so clearly you know how to run a business because you've got finance skills. Or you know they think their accountant knows how to run a business, and I, it's not true. <laughs> Yep. Running a business is different to being a an insurance broker or a financial planner or an accountant or solicitor or whatever. You know, Just because you've been to uni and done some study and you wear a white collar, so to speak, doesn't actually yep. give you business skills. Um,
2: yeah, 100%. So
1: a lot of us are in the same boat. Uh, gosh, I know some business coaches who don't really know how to run businesses. Yep. But, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> Shane, um, you said earlier about the numbers and the patterns. What are some of the the patterns perhaps you've seen, you know, you've been in biz- in business for 13 years, you've been in the industry for many more than that. What are some of the common patterns that you've observed over that time?
2: I think one of one of my you know, interesting observation when it comes to, because, you know, we deal with, gosh, I don't know how many now. We've dealt with a lot of thousands and thousands of trade businesses over that time. And you know, currently we have around 5,000 active clients, so we get to see, we see a lot of data from trades businesses and then talk to a lot of trades businesses. And one thing I really take away from it is that people, trades businesses will both thrive and fail regardless of where we are in the economic cycle. Um, you know, when things are great, we have plenty of clients calling out to cancel policies because they're, they're going out of business. And then when times are pretty terrible, we have clients filling out their renewal declaration and their revenues doubling every year. You know, it just, there's no, and even currently with you know, some, I guess some challenges in the, the building industry, we're just not seeing any, um, yeah, any great change you know, in our clients in terms of the, the percentage who are failing and the percentage who are succeeding. I think just so much of it comes down to, you know, the person and how good they are. At running a business maybe not even how good they are but even how just how driven they are mm. i think you can be you could be amazing on the tools or you could be amazing at running a business but if you don't have that that real drive and passion for it neither of those things are, are going to get you through mm. um or you could probably be mediocre on the tools mediocre at running a business but be so motivated that that you still make it work anyway and mm. And I, maybe that's where it fits in with me. I was maybe mediocre as a broker, um, okay at running a business, but but just had that that motivation and and drive to want to to make it work and persistence. I think is massive as well. It doesn't matter whether it's an insurance brokerage or a trades business or whatever else. You have mm-hmm. to have that motivation and, and drive and perseverance to just keep on going.
1: I think it's a it's a good. Point to make that uh, at least in your case, in your observation, Shane, and probably similar for us here, uh, Nick's and my role as as coaches with our clients is it's not necessarily the businesses or the tradies who do things the best that get great results. It's as you say, Shane, they're persistent and and I think consistency is a big part in it as well. You know, as long as you do a reasonably good job, you don't have to be the best trader you don't have to be the best business operator you just got to be pretty good um but you have to be consistent you know if it's fits and starts and we're on again off again with with whatever you're doing i think that's where people fall off the wagon and they just make it hard for themselves
2: yep yeah consistency is massive mm. and the yeah the level you need to i mean i guess we all especially when you do have that motivation you do want to operate at a at a high level but so many people in all industries who not even whether it's the people or it's the business that they operate at a a pretty average level, or maybe it is that the average level is, is not great. You know, for us in the early days of trade risk, just picking up the phone or or returning calls, you know, that put us ahead of our competition because the level was just so low out there. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I guess in the trades, and probably on the technical side of the broking as well you can't get it wrong you can't be mediocre in the sense that you're mm. messing things up because i guess whether you're wiring up a house or whether you're setting up someone's insurance you can't make mistakes so it's not about being mediocre and make mistakes but um but yeah yeah i think i've got a little bit off track there no,
1: Shane, I, I can yeah. lead anybody off track, mate. So that's
2: <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
1: a special yes, talent of
2: mine. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think it was the, the consistency, you know, part. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, yeah. we were on there. So the uh, you know, if you can just operate at a, a consistently good level, you know, it's no point being amazing for a couple of months and then mm. down in the dumps for a couple of weeks. If you can just that's consistently wrong. operate at a good, strong level, you know, that's you know, it gets you a long way. That's right.
0: Yes. Shane, I think um, there's a commonality between uh, what you do and what I guess trades do, and it, that's around the the sizing, not one size fits all. And I think there's this real uh, still, and we see it in our group, and that might be one of the conversations Warwick's referencing recently, there's a temptation to just find the cheapest product or the cheapest trading, or there's a temptation to find You know, what looks on the surface like the best fit for someone rather than looking a little deeper or taking your own personal um, situation into consideration. And I find that's, Warwick and I are big supporters of brokers because we've both been in positions within industry to understand how poorly this can go when it does go wrong and what kind of lifetime impact that can have on the end consumer. And I I wonder, you know, that's I'm sure that's been a journey for you as a business owner, given that we've had so many of the big players really moving around the market in a different space uh, in the last 5, 10 years that I've been observing. Once upon a time, it was really simple. You just rang. You went with who your bank told you to isn't it, yep. initially. And then all of a sudden there's this concept of, well, hang on, that might not be covering everything that we require. And I still think there's a lot of people out there that don't know that. They don't understand what they don't know and they don't know what questions to ask. So we're big supporters of brokers and and all of our clients having conversations with the broker to ensure they have that full complex understanding. But I think as a business owner for you, that must have been quite an interesting journey from the different offerings you've had to perhaps work with throughout your time, your 13 years so far in business. Um, And I wonder, you know, making decisions around that, what has that looked like for you? over which way you work with your clients or which way you're attracting them so that you are at least appearing to be competitive to the the big players that aren't necessarily giving all of the information or the total solution and doing what you guys do best. And that is finding those solutions specific for the clients that you're talking to.
2: Yeah. Yeah, price is such an important one and it, it drives so much. Um, it's funny, I, I'm on some of these different Facebooks Facebook groups of traders and there'll be a photo of some, you know, some terrible work, and you'll get a lot of guys jump in and say, you know, bet they chose the cheapest quote and
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> get what you deserve if you take the cheapest quote. But, you know, probably those same guys they're, they're doing the exact same on their insurance Absolutely. as their, uh, you know, and I guess that's what the, um, I don't know, I guess in some ways the media, you know, they're always on about, um, you know, you got to. Whether it's a home loan or insurance or whatever, it's about finding the cheapest rate and challenge your bank or challenge your insurance company kind of to get you a lower rate. So we, I probably bought into that a little bit in the, uh, the early days. So once we were, you know, pretty well established and had a good brand and we we're, were getting some good traction, we um, I guess attracted the interest of some of the uh, insurance companies and we approached by one in particular to build this online system together so that traders could come on and um, just get an instant quote through our website. Uh, They could buy the cover online. And, yeah, it was all going to be really quick and easy and amazing. You know, it was going to, we're going to win more clients from it because that's what clients wanted. They wanted quick and easy and cheap. It was going to be good for us because we could save money on staff. Um, So we went down that path because I thought that was what clients wanted. So I thought that was the best way forward. Um, And it was good we did win a lot of clients, 1000s of clients, you know, through that system. Um, Yeah. And we kept it going for a few years. We started to realize over time that it I just didn't think it was actually the best thing for clients. And we started to see things where, um, I don't know, we just weren't being brokers anymore. We weren't, you know, we certainly had a, there was a portion of our book that was very much still that traditional insurance broker role that we were doing but then there was this huge chunk as well of thousands of clients where there was no real communication they could call us of course whenever they wanted they could call up and ask us questions but it was a very transactional process a bit more like just a insurance company um there was one i got one example and it was it was just crazy. We had this guy. He'd, he'd bought a policy through the website just as a one-man band electrician. And each year we'd sent out the renewal, and you know, we say on the renewal, "If there's been any changes, let us know." But he, he would never, like a lot of those clients, they would would never say anything. They'd just pay the renewal. <laughs> and when we did, we wanted to start talking to more of these clients. So we, we spoke. Our broker spoke to him, and he finally returned the call. And this policy for this. A yeah, single-person electrician business. Yeah, he. We spoke to him, and he, he was now running a um, like an electrical labour hire business with <laughs> electricians out on labour hire around the country. So he was completely and utterly, you know, exposed. The policy wouldn't have covered him at all if something had gone wrong. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, we got him got him sorted out. One of our brokers and I think someone from the insurer, you know, worked a Saturday or something to make sure we got this sorted out because I think it was discovered on a Friday afternoon. You know, we didn't want him having to pull these people off of these jobs on the Monday morning. Mm. So I got it sorted out for him. It, his premium skyrocketed, but his <laughs> revenue had skyrocketed as well. But you know, it was just an example. Like, I'm so glad we, we discovered that issue because yeah. it would have been a massive drama. For us, we'd have been fine because we, we ticked our compliance boxes. we told him every renewal that you know, you've got to let us know if there's any changes, but, but it just felt pretty crappy. But, you know that's what the insurance the direct insurers do you know they they put all of that responsibility back on the client they put it all in the you know, in those that renewal document that if there's any changes you need to let us know yep so um so yeah we came up with this thing about um you know don't DIY your business insurance because we thought that DIY could you know you get traders to talk about you know the person who goes the diy option they end up paying twice they pay to do it for themselves to try and work it out to do it and then they end up paying the professional to come in and fix it for them so i guess we wanted to tap into that that you know you might save some money by taking that diy insurance option and just buying a policy direct off a website you know whereas for maybe a little bit more money sometimes no more money but sometimes a little bit more money you know they can use one of our brokers who just day in day out specialise in helping tradies, um, you know, and I think we get a much better outcome for them, you know, especially at at claim time. Most tradies are never claim on their policies, so they're not going to have to worry about it. But uh, I think there's some value in that peace of mind, knowing that, you know, perhaps they will never have a claim, but, but it's nice enough they do have a claim that there's going to be First of all, that their policies you know, have been set up properly. They've had the right policies recommended to them that are actually suitable for their business. It's not just a some generic policy for an electrician when they're actually working on, I don't know, wind turbines or solar farms or whatever. Um, you know, so it's more expensive for us as a business to do it that way because we have to hire more staff. You have to hire much more experienced staff.
0: Yeah.
2: But um, but it's been a positive because now we hang on to more of our. Those clients who are a lot more serious about their business and are growing their business, they stick with us because they know that their broker really knows what they're talking about and is there to help them. So it's um, so it's a more expensive way to do business, but it's also, it's, it's proven to be a much better way to do business. So the clients who only care about price, they tend to drop off. The clients who are really more serious about their business and growing their business, you know, they stick with us.
0: Um, yeah, I liken so. it a bit like to the old um, bank managers. Remember, we're all so young. It was when we were kids and our parents <laughs> would go into the bank on a Friday afternoon and they'd get to speak to the bank manager and there'd be the open door. You know, it was relationship building. And I feel like a good insurance yep. broker is much the same. I have the same insurance yep. broker that I've had for the last 10 odd years. And um, he personally rings me every year and says to me, hey, Nick, how are you going? Has anything changed? What are you looking to do for the next 12 months? And do you have any other plans that we might need to consider? You know, it becomes a big collaborative conversation instead of it just being transactional. I think that's really important and a big part of what you're talking about, Shane, because we don't know what we don't know. Like I said earlier, therefore, we need one of your professionals to be thinking for us almost. Otherwise, we end up with these great big blind spots and a huge element of risk being involved that we don't understand until it's far, far too late. I've seen some people get into some very messy situations. I've seen uh, houses burn down and they not be sufficiently covered, so they couldn't rebuild their home. Like there's been, I've seen some catastrophic events happen where the coverage hasn't been as comprehensive as you think. Doom and gloom. If you're listening, I'm, I mean it to say that way because that's what it was like for these people. It was very hard for them to um, work through and find a solution long term. And a simple conversation and, yes, maybe paying a little bit more to ensure that you're covered can fix all of that. Shane, I wonder in your experience, have you seen some of those dreadful stories that have come about because somebody hasn't been covered?
2: Thankfully, not really. Not really any horror stories. We've we've seen a few where there's been the potential for that, where they've been, say, with a director insurer or perhaps even with another broker and they come to us to, I guess, they just want to get some alternative quotes at Renewal Time and one of our brokers will, will talk to them about their business and then look at their current cover and tell them, you know, Do you know you're, you're not actually covered for this work you're doing at the airport. And the clients have no idea because the client, well, you know, most clients, they don't know that if they're doing work at a at an airport or a hospital that that's necessarily going to be you know, excluded by their insurance. But you know, a lot of standard policies you know, will exclude a lot of that work that is outside of the norm. So if you're just jumping from website to website, getting those instant quotes, you know, not really reading it, because no one really reads it. You know, it's like when you get a, a new app on your phone and you get this, this massive long list of uh, yeah, terms yeah. and conditions, you don't read it, you just click accept. And you know, the the insurers put all those disclaimers on the policy, you know, you must read and understand the the product disclosure statement and the target market determination before purchasing this policy. And but, you know, I, I'm sure some people do, but a lot of people also wouldn't. And even if they do read it, you know, they fully comprehending mm. yeah, how that's going to impact upon them. So, yeah, thankfully, no horror stories where, where, where I guess it's actually happened, but quite a few where you've seen the potential for that to happen, where if, you know, if there would have been a claim that they, they wouldn't have been covered. And mm. thankfully, we've been able to get in there and, and get that fixed for them it's been like a near miss on
1: site so like, that could have been really bad but
2: we dodged it yeah yeah absolutely and you, you hope that they it's funny in as an insurance broker that the time when a client will best get to see the value in what we do is when they have a claim yeah but we would never wish you know upon that upon anyone because even though the financial side of the claim is going to be covered it's it's still you know particularly for a big claim it's still often going to be a traumatic experience you know the financial side's going to get sorted out but there's still that um a lot of emotion and and effort and energy that you know that can be involved that you know that's that's not being compensated Mm. so it's uh yeah interesting one
1: hey tradies in business was here Sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure. I'm joined by Coxie, of course. Hello. You may not know this tradie or tradie wife or whoever you are listening to this program, but we're business coaches. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that feels weird to say, (laughs) (laughs) but we do actually work with people just like you to solve a bunch of problems. And we have this fantastic program called the Tradiepreneur Program and that's how we do it. And we do it with a wonderful community of trade business owners who are all trying to fix or improve or change things to progress. Things like getting behind on quoting, Coxie.
0: Feeling overwhelmed, behind on your invoicing, feeling really stressed or frustrated about the money stuff. Sometimes you can pay the bills, sometimes you can't. What about staff? Oh my goodness! Oh my gosh, staff. Trying to get them to do what you want them to do, if you can even find them in the first place. Uh, there's so many struggles.
1: And we've seen clients tackle these things in their trade businesses in a quite a short space of time. To be honest, mm-hmm. during the program and recruit staff at a time where everybody was saying you can't get good staff. Mm-hmm. Improve their quality from their team.
2: coming into Christmas. We are not worried about money. We've got enough money in the bank to pay everybody's leave. There's work booked in for the new year. And for the first time in a long time, we'll be having three weeks off and not worrying about the business. That's probably the biggest win of all. Using the cash flow forecast, I've been able to look into the future and see where I'm gonna be situated financially. And it's actually started to have a huge bearing
1: on whether or not I make purchases.
2: By far one of the best things about working with Nick and Woz are the other businesses that are working alongside them. It is amazing how empowering it is to be working alongside like-minded people who have similar goals, similar troubles, we can all relate to each other and everybody helps everybody out by figuring out problems with you that they may have faced previously everybody has solutions and constructive feedback and it's an incredibly friendly warm welcoming environment not threatening at all from every job i know that i will get a sustainable wage that's industry leading i can have at least 10 to 20 percent profit and i can pay taxes super all of that and i do not have to question whether or not i can because of the way that it's been built and that is thanks to traders in business and what they've taught me and what I've learned.
1: So there you go. There's some real people. We did not pay them to say those things. <laughs> and I think that sounds a lot better than Coxie and I reading them out. We really would love for you to check out more about how you could take your trade business to where you would like it to be. Surely you have a vision of what things could be like or what you wish they were like on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that is reducing stress or actually making more money, maybe it's spending more time with the family, taking more holidays, having the choice Mm. that you really wanted when you started your business instead of this beast that seems to be there for many of you listening to this program. So if... You want to find out more about how we do this through the Tradepreneur program. Coxie's going to tell you all about it. (laughs)
0: Free.
1: That's how abundant we are. So head over to the website, uh, check it out, book a chat with us, and we'd love to find out if you'd be a great fit for the tradiepreneur community and start hanging out with some of those people that you just heard from. Woo! Shane, uh, you guys must see some. Well, you, you've dealt with thousands of tradies, uh, and and. I love a good horror story. I know Nick loves true crime podcasts. So, yeah, I love them. Uh, yeah. mate, you've probably got better stories than the true crime podcast. Um, <laughs> for our listeners, because I think, and I come from the life insurance industry, which is different to where you guys sit in um, fire and general, as it used to be called, but, but you know, general and commercial um, insurance. And either way, uh, it was similar for me as a, as a life insurance broker back in the 2000s where... I just could not get through to people <laughs> the the importance of having it. Um, and in the end, I just used to share, you know, ridiculous funny stories because I think people could identify with that more than they could with the scare tactics that I tried to use. Because <laughs> be like, yeah, hey, whatever, mate, you're just trying to sign up a policy. But I think <laughs> they found the the funny ones actually more um, enlightening and perhaps caused them to think a little more. Have you guys seen yeah. some weird stuff? Or well, I mean, your brokers must have come across some some crazy situations?
2: Yes. Yeah. I put the question to the the broking team this morning and um, they didn't have, actually have anything too weird and wonderful on the the trade side. So a lot of our claims on the trade side are pretty straightforward. You know, we get plenty of um, yeah, injuries or someone's whatever, broken an ankle or broken a wrist and, and can't work for a little while. Uh, lots of stolen tools and mm. uh, claims. Again, nothing too wild and interesting amongst the tool claims and they're normally pretty straightforward. Um, They did, they gave me a couple of stories from their past, which I thought were, like I guess, sort of non tradey related, but... Well, that's okay. It means we can
1: diss on some other industries, mate. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Um, One that they liked was uh, drawings of kangaroos, which threw me a little bit at the start, but it was... um,
0: (laughs) exactly th- where you're going having had to do this myself
2: yeah so uh, so you're yeah, relating to, to motor claims where they've you know they've, they've hit a kangaroo while they're I guess we do have a lot of clients in uh, regional areas <laughs> uh, and on the claim form they need to draw a little diagram of, of what's happened <laughs> we get uh, drawings of kangaroos that um that people have hit so uh, that's quite interesting. Maybe we should perhaps, post some of those. On the
1: <laughs> correct kangaroos. <laughs> yes,
2: but um, but yeah, yeah. I had two examples that I quite liked that they gave me. So one of them was of a bloke who, um, I guess he was quite a keen fisherman. Um, and he'd had a just a claim on his on his home insurance, and the, uh, I don't know what it was whether it was a blackout or, or some sort of issue, and um, so his freezer his freezer had had shut off and. He put in a claim that he'd lost $4,000 worth of fish oh. in his um, freezer. And the insurance company declined a claim and said, yeah, there's no way that anyone has $4,000 worth of fish in their um, in their freezer. So the bloke, uh, he turned up uh, unannounced at the brokerage with his <laughs> $4,000 worth of fish that so I guess by now had gone off because of the whole claim. <laughs> so um, they didn't actually tell me if that ended up or resulted in the claim being paid or not. But I guess if he could prove that he had four grand worth of fish, that they probably had no choice but to pay it.
1: I tell you what, if it was uh, um, Tasmanian lobster at uh, whatever it is, 200 bucks a kilo down here, he might (laughs) have been right.
2: Yes. So that was interesting. Um, Another one I quite liked was, um, so we do insure a few, um, trades are our specialty, obviously at trade risk, but we do have... I don't know, probably about 5 five or 10% of our book that is non-trades that we picked up over the time. Um, so we have a couple of hairdressers in there. Um, so this was a claim for a hairdresser. It wasn't actually one of our clients. It was from a previous brokerage that one of the staff had worked for. Um, and they had a stripper that tried to sue the hairdresser because they'd cut her hair too short.
0: <laughs>
2: the length of her hair was part of her, um, I don't know, part of her persona or whatever. So she tried to sue for loss of earnings, or loss of earnings, and um, <laughs> and the cost of um, products to try and promote the uh, the hair to grow back faster.
0: <laughs> That's a good dinner party story, that one.
2: Yeah. So the claim was declined because there was no because um, it was under a uh, public liability policy, and there'd been no. No was... uh, personal injury there, so it was uh, not a claim. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting one.
1: Disappointed that in, in thousands of tradies, you know, there's been no claim for a site office in inverted commas, which actually was the family caravan or something. No? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. No. We're pretty. Uh, it's pretty boring, really, with the claims. They're all they're pretty straightforward. Some of them do get um, you know, a bit more complex in terms of determining who was responsible. <laughs> I think in the trades, because it is such a um, um, you know, hands-on type of thing, like if you've done something and you know, broken something or caused an issue or whatever, it's, it's normally pretty straightforward that, mm. that you are the one at fault. Um, mm. A claim that we had a really bad run of, because um, we insure a lot of electricians, They're probably our biggest uh, client group, um, and we have a lot of electricians doing solar installs. So we had a run of claims on, uh, so they were water damage claims. So what would happen is the, um, you know, they're up on the roof doing the install and they've, they've damaged a tile or haven't put a tile back properly or something, and they have no idea at the time. But then, you know, whatever, a couple of months later, there's a big downpour. Um, water comes in, but still at that point, you know, unless it's actually dripping through the ceiling, obviously then it's going to be noticed. But we had a few where it had dripped, I guess, just into the walls. And so even perhaps for weeks after that, rain event it still hasn't been picked up you know then the mold appears or then the the skirting starts to bulge and you know they can end up being quite large claims because that water damage you know Mm. over time and it can create such issues Mm. and all from something as basic as just not quite putting a roof tile back on properly um yep so you know and so they can end up being hundred thousand dollar claims for something that was really quite basic and it's due to that water that that water just causes such issues. Mm. So, but yeah, so they're not the ones with the, the, the. I guess the interesting or funny stories, but they're <laughs> the uh, certainly the ones that can result in the, the biggest, you know, I guess, financial uh, cost. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah.
1: Now, Shane. Um, speaking of interesting things, uh, I'm going to out you. We didn't we didn't necessarily talk about this uh, before we hit record, mate. You have an interesting uh, personal hobby let's call it yeah uh, <laughs> and i don't even think coxie's aware of this no, it's only because i'm such a hellish stalker uh yeah and I, ha- I have known you for a few years so um mate what is it that you're you're uh, passionate about
2: uh, i assume this is going down the path of number plates
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> i think a few of our listeners will probably find this fascinating mate probably more interesting than insurance i'm, I'm sorry to say
2: yes yeah probably um, yeah, number plates, yes. I have a quite a um, fascination with number plates, but not just any number plates. It's, um, you yeah, know, around Australia, they're called different things. Some, like Victoria, they refer to them as heritage plates. And New South Wales, it's more so numeric plates. But essentially, it's just number plates that contain only digits. And uh, I think that probably comes into that, uh, you know, liking numbers and patterns. Yeah,
1: yeah. But
2: they're the... Um, I could talk about this for hours. I'll try and keep it brief. <laughs> They're essentially just the first number plates that were issued. So back in the early 1900s, they um, when they started issuing number plates, they just started with number one. So the first car register was number one, and so on was number two, and and so on until they got into the, the hundreds of thousands, and then realised that I don't know. I don't know what they thought at the start. Maybe they thought there'd only ever be 100,000 cars on the road, <laughs> and uh, I think it was around sort of varies depending on the state but around the 1930s and 50s they started to realize we're gonna to have to introduce some letters as well to, to go down that uh, alphanumeric path that we're all used to now
1: mm-hmm.
2: but yeah I'm quite I um, don't know if we call it obsessed but but I have quite an interest in those um, those early 1900s number plates that only contain digits so how uh,
0: many do you have Shane
2: um one have I got I think I've got six of them Wow. So enough for me and the kids and then uh, one spare. So,
0: um, how close to number one do you have?
2: Um, I've got Queensland uh, 139. Wow. So that's my, um, my, lowest, my lowest one. So that would have been issued, uh, well, certainly within the first year of number plate, so I'm pretty sure it would have been issued on the first day. Um, because they uh, issued, or in Queensland at least, they issued, I think they got up to number 8,000-something uh, in the first year of issuing plates. Um sure is.
1: so, And how yeah. many of those are still floating around in circul- Oh, Well, they're obviously not in circulation officially, but how many of those yep. do you reckon are, are still floating around?
2: I don't know. It would be in the thousands. So they started most of the, st- well, I don't know about most of the states, but Queensland, um, New South Wales and Victoria, um, sort of around the early to mid-'80s, they, uh, by that stage, most of the plates had, I guess, had been handed back in, you know, vehicles had been uh, deregistered and, and mm-hmm. whatever. So around the 80s, a few of the states cashed in and, and held auctions to um, re-release a lot of those old plates. Um, yeah. So there was only probably a couple of hundred plates released by each state at that time. But then in the years after that, they released a lot more plates. Mm-hmm. So there'd be thousands of them out there now. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's what's that's what makes those lower numbers more sought after is yeah. it's, you know, it's not that hard to go out and get a plate in the, in that hundred thousand range, but to, to get a low one, people like that stuff. So uh, some people like it for the, I don't know, there's a bit of prestige and value around them now, I guess, but, but I've probably come more so from the, the nerdy side. I like the history <laughs> of them and I like just having numbers on a plate for some reason.
0: Jane, so. do you have a favorite number?
2: either one or eight, I sort of flip-flop between those two numbers
0: is there a reason for either or
2: I think number one because I played fullback when I was uh, when I played Uh football as a as a kid so I just I like number one because that's what I had on my back for a few years yeah um number eight I don't know I guess it's that um that infinity type thing of you know that that loop I quite like the eight so uh yeah, but uh, I like this will be quite nerdy as well with the numbers. I like my 139 plate because it's uh, the number one triples to three and then the number three triples to nine. Uh, and it's the only three digit combination that can uh, that can triple in that way.
0: So I like it, Shane. There'll be a That's lot better. of our fellas out there
1: listening, really <laughs> <Yeah>. enjoying <laughs> this moment in the podcast. <laughs>
2: like, yeah. oh, there's a bloke
1: just like me. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: funny where it takes you. Like, I had uh, uh, I was on the project once, talking about number plates. Oh and, wow! Uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, what else? I think that was something else. Oh, there was a story in the courier mail earlier this year where they came and took some photos. And but yeah, it's funny. I wish people were that interested in in trade risk in terms <laughs> of getting some media. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, it's something different, I guess.
0: Well, here so, you are. We'll, we'll put you on the Tradies and Business podcast so you can be
1: immediate <laughs> trade
2: risk. Yes. Talking yes about, see, we talked about trade risk first, Shane, yes, before we, did. we
1: talked about number plates. There you go.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that is good.
1: Mate, <laughs> hey, there's a couple of things uh, that I would like to, to bring up. Um, one is if we just look back to the insurance stuff for a second, what makes a good broker? Um, obviously, everyone should choose trade risk, but just in case they want to go and look at some other brokers, um, what should they be looking for? Like, what makes a good broker?
2: Oh, it's probably yeah. Every broker on their website, they're going to talk about how they um they care about their clients and that they uh that they have a million years of experience and all of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I don't think it's so much the stuff that you'll see on their website. I think it's the um in terms of the the brokers that I've employed over the years. Like we've had a lot of good ones, but then we've had a lot of crap ones as well. Um, I think it needs to be someone probably first and foremost they just have to care um, a lot about what they do uh, mm-hmm. and take a lot of pride in what they do so that they are you know they're, they're wanting to help clients in a way that um, doesn't just help them to hit their sales target but mm-hmm. actually you know, that they know that they're producing good work and that they know that they're um, you're actually providing a lot of value uh, to their clients, um, mm-hmm. and I think having brokers who want to be around—I you know, guess if they're an an employed broker, you know that they're there's someone who's going to be working in that brokerage for years to come. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're a broker who sort of jumps from business to business every year or two, you mm-hmm. um, you're not going to be around to deal with the claim. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. can you can set up the the policy and you know, bring in that revenue and you don't really have to worry about if they make a claim two years down the track and it doesn't go so well because maybe you didn't get that policy set up quite right. You know, you don't care because you're working somewhere else now. Yep. So, I think, you know, if you're looking at, you know, a brokerage, uh, I think there's something to be said for for dealing with an individual at that office who, you know, I guess is there for the long term. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's it's tricky to, you know, if you're if you're calling around to a few brokerages, you know, you're not really asking them, you know, how long have you worked at this brokerage and do you plan to stay there for long? And do you really care about me or do you just care about your sales targets? Because they're all gonna answer the give you the answers you want to hear. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, it's bloody tough. The reviews is is probably a good one. Um mm-hmm. you know, we, we have I don't know what we're up to now. I think we're up to about thirteen hundred online reviews. Um, I guess people can fake reviews, but But I I think looking at written reviews is important, but that's tough as well. You know, there could be amazing brokers out there who they just don't ask clients for reviews. Mm. They they might not have any reviews. They might just have a handful of Google reviews that people have gone and use their own initiative to leave. But Mm. that's a tough question. You know, I I can say the things that I think makes a good broker, but in terms of a trader going out and and using that data to find a good broker or using that information to find a good broker, it's pretty tough. Um, I don't know. I guess probably part of it as well is just talking to them about your business and and seeing if they, yeah, if it feels like they care about your business and that they're asking the right questions about your business.
1: Mm.
2: Probably that's an important one. The, the types of questions that the broker asks. Mm. I agree. So we, I think especially because we specialize in the trades, um, and because I've drummed into the, the brokers over so many years how important compliance is to me that we will you know if a client answers a question a little bit funny if they hesitate a little bit or if they say something a a little bit odd instead of just trying to gloss over that and move on you know because as soon as you start to then push a little bit further on that as a broker you're only creating more work for yourself Mm -hmm. Um, it's easier to just to just move on course over Well, look, the client didn't actually raise that with me. So I'm, I'm just going to kick on. Whereas our brokers will, we might question that a little bit further mm. and maybe not all clients will like that. I think, geez, they, these guys make it difficult. They ask me too many questions and they, oh, they talk too much and, and whatever, you know, whereas this other broker didn't ask me any questions. He made it a lot easier. But in the event of a claim, you, you're going to wish that you went with the broker who was a lot more curious and oh, asked more of the harder questions rather than just let you tell the broker what they wanted to hear which let the broker run a nice easy policy get some easy wins on the board move on to the next client so yeah maybe that's the best one if i mean i know that takes time to, to talk to a few different brokers but you probably want the broker who's going to be more inquisitive and more curious about your business they're probably going to be the one who's who's going to get you the better outcome at claim time. <laughs> I like it, but yeah. That's but cool. ignore all the stuff on the website and probably on the trader's website because they're all going to tell you <laughs> what you want to hear. It would be the same on any trader's website talking about yeah. their master craftsmen yeah. and that they design amazing things or do amazing work. You know, website's just a <laughs> brochure, really, isn't it? To it talk is. about how good you are. Yeah. yeah. They're important. You know, I think like the online marketing has been so important for us important part of our growth, but, but you're never going to know, I guess, again, just like a builder or tradie, you know, you're never really going to know how good they are until you actually talk to them about the project and, mm. you know, and you can start to gauge how interested they seem to be in the project and what sort of ideas they're they're offering. And yeah. You know. So yeah, you have to talk to them um, and you can't just do it on price. It's just, um, you know, you might still end up with a great outcome going on price, and, but pretty high risk that you might not as well.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Nice. Well, uh, Shane, thank you for your time today. Um, I didn't think we would speak this long about
0: insurance <laughs> and
1: broking. And, I kind
0: of uh, didn't. We talked about lots of things.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've covered some ground. Um Uh, We'll do a quick plug as well, mate. I know you mentioned this at the start. Um, You've just put your hand in your pocket. It sounds like quite a way into your pocket, mate, um, to support TX. And uh, one of our former guests, the repeat offenders here at the Tradies in Business podcast, the boys from Trademutt and uh, TX. This is a conversation starter. So um, I believe you've ponied up, mate, and and, uh, put some cash in to support that organisation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'd never... um... You know, had done. We've made little ad hoc donations here and there to to different things, but we've never, as a business, made a, a proper donation. So I was aware of the you know the trademark and the TX story for you know for a good couple of years. Uh, and this year we, we finally got around to to making contact with them and and making a donation there. So um so we kicked it off with a five thousand dollar donation, and you know the plan is to you know for us to keep keep trying to promote TX you know, amongst our clients as much as we can, you know, make sure people know that they're there if, you know, if they're having a bit of a tough time and need someone to talk to, um, you know, or as TX say, you know, even if you're not having a tough time, maybe it is, you know, it's, it's worth just having a chat to someone, mm. you know, regardless, you know, just to, to start to get used to talking about your mental health mm. you know, mm. before it gets to the point where you actually really need some help. So, mm. uh, you yeah, and I love that those guys, they, they run quite a lean, uh, operation. So I know that the that money that we put in there, you know, it's it's not going to pay a bunch of back office staff and and marketing and operations. You know, it goes directly into you know, actually providing that that free counselling for tradies. So I think it our amount works out at well, I forget what it was. It, it's something like fifty or fifty five hours of um you know free counselling for tradies. So so yeah that that was our. You know, our little donation kick things off and, and we want to keep that going each year so as our business keeps growing you know we can continue to grow that contribution so that we can you know, give something back to the trades um mm-hmm. you know in a way that isn't just you know insurance claims um okay. yeah oh, so sorry. so yeah it, it's good
1: I think there's some parallels there, Shane, Uh, you know, insurance is about um, planning ahead and and protecting yourself and I think, you know, accessing counseling early, as you say, before you think there's a problem is a little bit similar and get it set up beforehand, um, before it becomes urgent. So, well done, mate, and uh, thanks again for your time today. It's been a great chat, mate, I'll uh, I'll keep an eye out for any of those rare number plates and give you a call (laughs) if I spot any down here in Tassie, mate, there's probably a few floating around in barns and stuff down here or sheds as we call them here in Australia
2: yeah yeah um, i'm sure there are I'll take a photo send them through i always love to see them
1: <laughs> and uh and we should share your details too mate if, if anyone's listening and, and wants to check out trade risk what's the best place to find you, show
2: yeah the website's probably the easiest uh, traderisk.com.au or just google trade risk um phone number is 1-800-808-800 um and yeah Probably best don't talk to me about your insurance because I'm not uh, <laughs> I'll probably talk to you about number plates or, or something like that. <laughs> but um but yeah, we've spent a lot of time. We've spent years, you know, putting together, you know, what I think is the best team of of brokers and support staff. So they're they're just incredible. They're vastly more knowledgeable and experienced about business insurance than I'll ever be. So um yeah, there's a great great team there to talk to. So nice, mate. Yeah. Love it, Shane. Well. Yeah, Thanks thank you, Warwick. Thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate very the opportunity long. and great to chat.
0: Yeah, likewise. Thank you. So you've been listening to the Tradies and Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business, and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au